Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, or or, uh, pull out your smartphone, your device, and we want to look together this morning at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Here, Peter reminds us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he turns and he counsels believers, saying, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Let's pray together. Father, powerful, mighty Lord, we bless you, we adore you because for you nothing is impossible. There is nothing too difficult for you. You spoke and all that we see and know came to be. By your grace and out of your great mercy, in your great wisdom and power, you found a way for us to be set free of our sin and to be restored to a life we could not win for ourselves in Christ Jesus. And for this, we are so very grateful. You are strong. We are weak. You are more than we could ever expect to be, and yet you love us. We bless you, Lord God, for your power and your greatness. Father, we confess that so very often we try to live our lives without your power. That when trouble and hardship come, When success comes, we're tempted again and again and again to live by our own strength, by our own power. And we find when we do that we are easily tempted and led away by an enemy who is stronger than we are, an enemy that we cannot match. Forgive us. Help us, Lord God, to see more and better of who you are in your greatness and your power, to see more and better the the wisdom and cunning of our enemy. Help us, Lord God, and restore us so that we live more and more of our lives in radical dependence upon you and what you can do and less dependence upon ourselves and what we can do. Grant, Lord God, restore us to the role that you've given us in Christ as overcomers so that we might have and know the victory that we so desperately need in this battle that we are so surely in. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. 
Amen. Amen. We're coming to the end of our series and our look at Satan, the greatest of the three enemies that every believer faces. Peter has described for us thus far both the attitudes and the actions that believers need to prepare themselves for the devil, whom Peter memorably traced to us in our passage as prowling around us like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, what we haven't explored yet is what believers should do when this enemy comes. And we really haven't looked at how he comes and when he comes and, and how he comes and when he comes when he actually attacks. We want to take a look at that today because there's a great deal of misunderstanding about this great enemy of ours that I think we need to clear up. Many of us who are followers of Jesus credit this enemy with strikes he hasn't made and miss altogether the attacks he is making. If we have one of those days when our child is sick and the refrigerator dies and the car is on empty as we get into it to go to work, when we have filled up the, the car with gas out of the, by God's grace, gas can that we had in the, in the garage. And, and as we were traveling to work, when we've had one of those days, when a policeman stops us and gives us with a ticket, many of us believers are tempted to say that we're in the thick of spiritual warfare and the devil is after us. We're wrong, of course. The truth is, that child that is sick, well, she lives in a broken world where there are lots of viruses. Refrigerators eventually wear out and they do die. The car is on empty, really, just because we didn't fill it up on the way home. And the reason the police officer gifted us with the gift he gave us was because we were speeding and texting and driving without our seatbelt on. But what we miss is this, is that in the everyday challenges and the not so everyday tragedies of life, while Satan doesn't cause these things, Satan does use these things in his attempt to defeat us. We need to understand this and we need to understand what it is believers can do when the enemy shows up. Do you know what to do? Peter tells us at the close of his letter that it isn't enough to be ready by being humble. And it isn't enough to be uh, vigilant by being sober and alert. These things are vital tactics and we need to employ them in order to be ready. But there is a third tactic that we need described for us in verse 9. The final tactic that Peter gives is uh, for facing and overcoming Satan is a ready resistance. Resist him, Peter says, verse 9. Resist him. Resist is the key word here. It actually points us to some things that I want us to look at carefully this morning. This key word, resist, points us to what believers cannot do 
to what believers must never do, and finally, to what believers can do. When faced with this adversary who seeks believers to devour, there are certain things that believers cannot do, cannot do, cannot do. And one of the things I've learned, I've been married uh, 38 years now, I believe. One of the things I've learned as I've looked back over, over, over the course of my life with my, with my wife is that early in our marriage, I had to learn that there were some things I could not do. I had to learn that I could not compare her to my mother. I had to learn that I could not compare her to her mother. I had to learn that I could not compare her to anybody else's wife. What I had to learn in those early years of marriage was that she is incomparable. And what I discovered after about 10 years of marriage is that she really is incomparable. She really is irreplaceable. And I really am blessed. But I had to learn a few things about what I couldn't do so that I could make the most of the things that I could do. And that is take her as a gift from God, as a treasure from God, and treat her as a gift and a treasure. Now in the first service, all the men said amen. <laughs> and I told them that I thought I could just about quit and be done for the morning because I had done such a good job of training them. Crickets in the second service, which means I can't quit. I still have more work to do. So let me just say in summary that I learned to celebrate my wife as incomparable, as irreplaceable, and an extraordinary gift from God and a treasure. All right, now we can go forward. Good. Very good. Very good. All right. In the same way that there are some things that uh, husbands cannot do, there are some things that believers cannot do. Uh, similarly, more seriously, it's important here to look at verse 9 and see what Peter doesn't say that we might have expected him to say about Satan. He doesn't say, fight him. He doesn't say, fight him when it comes to Satan. We are to be looking for a fight, trying to strike somehow at the devil. We should remember that we cannot do it. He was originally the most powerful angel God created, the wisest angel God created. And the fact of the matter is we are no match for this supernatural, powerful, cunning, wise enemy. We're no match for him. We cannot fight him. But there's more that we need to know. Secondly, there's something that believers must never do. Now, human beings rather naturally, I think, when we're faced with, a, with an existential threat, with an imminent threat, we are uh, uh, really brought to a point of choice, either to fight or to flee. 
And because the devil is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, he is an extraordinary threat to us. And so we would naturally assume if I cannot fight him, then what the Bible will call on me to do is to flee from him. We we would expect Peter to say, all right, all right, all right. Here's how you get ready. And when the devil shows up, when, when the devil comes, run, run, run. Now, the Bible certainly tells us to flee at times. The Bible tells us to flee from sexual immorality. The Bible tells us to flee from idolatry. The Bible says specifically to believers, flee, run. If you ever find yourself being drawn to worship wealth, to being drawn to worship pleasure, to being drawn to worship some beauty other than the beauty that God is in his character. If you are ever drawn to worship at another idol, flee, run, run. The scripture says as well, flee youthful passions or desires. And yet Peter and the rest of the New Testament never tell us to flee Satan. Why? Well, the short answer is this, running from him will never deter him, and running from him will never defeat him. You can run from the devil, but you cannot hide. Why? Well, it really comes down to where his attacks are made. You'll notice with me in verse nine that Peter explains how believers resist the devil. Do you see it there? He says the way you resist the devil is by being firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. There's a powerful reason why Peter says this. The devil, when he attacks, always attacks at the point of faith. He attacks the professing believer's confidence in God, dependence on God, and the strength and protecting power of God. It is this faith that the devil wants to destroy, and if he can't destroy the faith, he wants to disable it. The devil's aim is always to undermine faith in God, undermine faith in Christ. He wants professing believers to deny or renounce their faith in Christ and fall away. And if they're true believers, he can't get them to do that. What he will do if they're true believers is to encourage them to abandon or adjust their faithfulness to Christ with compromise or with neglect or with spiritual pride. And while he doesn't cause all the hardship that we experience, he doesn't cause all the suffering that true believers experience. And while he doesn't bring all the success that they might have, he does use all of these things against them when he can. He uses pain and he uses hardship to discourage or terrify believers and tempt them to question God. He uses success to encourage believers to swell up with pride in themselves so that they no longer live depending on God and live trapped in sin. He prefers, of course, to see believers renounce their faith, but he will take an abandonment of faithfulness if that's all he can get. And again, with a true believer, that is all he can get, but If he can get that, he will be happy. Either way, he wins the battle. 
and the professing believer loses. But don't miss this. There is something believers can do. Believers can resist by, Peter says, being firm in their faith. As I said before, resist is the key word here. It describes a uh, military situation where soldiers are under attack, but they take their stand and they hold their ground. They take their stand and they hold their ground. And so the meaning here is that of standing against opposing the pressure of another. Josh McLean. How are you? Good. You are awake and alert now, aren't you? He was taking notes, I will say. He was. Come up here a minute. Here he comes. All right. How are you, sir? Shaky. It's good to see you. All right. Do you work out or anything or do you exercise? A little bit. A little bit, okay. I'm glad you're here. Um, I am going to attack you, okay? Okay? And I just want you to resist me. I I don't want you to attack me back, okay? Because we're in church and and, and that's really, really important, right? Okay. So I'm not really going to attack you, but I am going to try to, to, uh, to push you down. So so I'm going to come at you and and I want you to resist me. Can you, can you do that? All right, all right. So here we go. Are you ready? Let's see what he's doing. He's, what is he doing? He's standing his ground, isn't he? Do you see how he did that immediately? Can y'all see? Man, this is so biblical. You're doing so well. <laughs> so, so if I'm coming at him and I'm pressing, do you see? I'm using my force, my pressure, and he's resisting me. Now, I asked him specifically not to attack me here, though I might be trying to attack him. I've asked him not to do that because that is not the biblical picture of spiritual warfare with the evil one. I'm the evil one. You're the good guy. All right. (laughs) But this is the picture. The the scripture, don't get, uh, see, that's what you shouldn't do. (laughs) That's good. The devil wants him, wants him, you see how vigilant he is? He's watching because he don't want to do that again. But the devil wants him not to be vigilant, not to stand his ground. And he is going to come after him because what the devil wants to do, because Josh is a true believer, what he wants is he wants him not to be faithful. He wants him to move out of the way. He, he wants him to be somewhere other than where God wants him to be. So set, set back up again. Show, show us. What is it like? Yeah. Do you see? He's not attacking, but he is resisting. Come on, resist. That's good. Now we can't do this forever, can we? I can. You can. (laughs) Before you go, let me just remind you that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Thank you, my brother. So that is a powerful picture of what God is saying we must do in this battle that we are in. So so the picture that, that we have here in the word resist is that of a firmness in the face of another's powerful attack. Not one of attacking with power, 
And so this resistance that uh, Peter talks about and calls for is a defensive tactic. It is not an offensive tactic. And this alone is what believers can do and should do. Resist the devil by standing firm in their faith. And I want you to always remember Josh McClain, his feet planted, standing firm, standing firm. This word firm is another military term and describes an immovable front formed to face the pressure of an enemy. And so we have this extraordinary picture that uh, Peter gives to us of a faithful man or woman of God who stands and stays and says, I will not be moved. I will not be moved. This is the firm faith of Job who wouldn't compromise his trust in God and said in the most uh, uh, of the uh, the greatest tragedy of his life. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. I will not be moved. This is the firm faith of Daniel who wouldn't compromise his trust in God and resolve the scripture says that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank and therefore asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, though it could actually have been a risk to his life. Daniel was saying, I will not be moved. This is the firm faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who wouldn't compromise their trust in God, even under the threat of the great Nebuchadnezzar, who said to them, if you don't worship my statue, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Do you remember their answer to the king? They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. It is decided. It is done. Here is what we believe. If this be so, our God whom we serve will be able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image you have set up. We will not be moved. This is the firm faith of Peter himself and the apostles who wouldn't compromise their trust in Christ and his father before the threats of the Jewish council and the high priest who questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name of Jesus. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as the leader and the savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Please understand, counsel and chief priests, Regardless of what you do to us, we will not be moved. 
Now, where in the world does such stubbornness and a resolute faithfulness come from? It comes from Jesus. Because this is the firm faith of Jesus himself, who wouldn't compromise his trust in his Father and said in the greatest trial of his life, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I trust you. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat, the Scripture says, became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, found them sleeping for sorrow, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise, it's time. You may be sleeping, but I will not. Be moved. I know what's coming. My Father has called me to it. For the sake of sinners who hate us. And yet, for the sake of holiness and love, I'm going. I'm going to bear cross and excruciating pain. But I'm going even more to bear the excruciating reality of the sin of the world. I know all of this is coming. And it is so horrific to me. I'm sweating drops of blood. But I will not be. I want you to understand that the devil in all his power and wisdom cannot defeat the faithful man or woman who stands and stays and says, by God's grace, by faith in him, him helping me, I will not be moved. And when faith is genuine and the believer refuses to disbelieve God and his promises and chooses instead to be full of faith and faithful despite the hardships or successes all around, the devil's attacks are repelled. The devil's attacks are defeated. He is, in the words of John's first epistle, an overcomer. He has overcome the evil one. Loved ones, loved ones. Faith, faith is our greatest strategy because faith 
is the only path to victory. This is where the battle is won or lost. Losing a marriage, be careful. Losing a child, be careful. Losing your job, be careful. Succeeding, making more money than you've ever made, be careful. More opportunities than you've ever had in your lifetime, be careful. Be careful. You will be under attack. And faith is your greatest strategy because faith is the only path to victory when it comes to this supernatural, powerful enemy. Now, let me draw some summary conclusions before we go on to application. Here they are. Number one. The reason believers can't run from and hide from the devil's attacks is that the devil's attacks always come on the inside. Sure, Satan uses what's going on outside of us to make his attacks successful. He uses outside trouble and hardship. However, they come opposition, even persecution to launch his attacks on us. But his attack is always on faith, on the inside first, not on the outside. And that means that if we try to flee from him, we simply take the battle with us. Instead, when we flee out of fear, rather than standing against Satan with faith in God, the reality is he's already won. He's either caused us to deny our faith or to compromise our faithfulness. Someone has said, cowardice never wins against Satan, only courage. And this is true if the courage is the courage of faith. But it is this inside attack on faith and faithfulness that must be watched for, that must be resisted, that must be withstood. Listen carefully to me. Listen carefully to me. Yes, when a child is sick, it is serious. No, Satan didn't cause it. But you need to be watchful. In all of the everyday ups and downs of life, you've got to be watchful. In the great tragedies of life, you've got to be watchful and ready. Feet planted to resist and say, I will not be moved. Conclusion two. What the devil wants most is a denial and abandonment of faith in God and his Christ. 
Now, I'm going to say something to you that I want you to hear, and I'm not a prophet or son of a prophet, but I think we're already seeing enough of it that I can say it with confidence. Don't be surprised if you see and hear of professing believers walking away from their faith as the pressure in our culture mounts against the Christian faith and the Christian ethic or the Christian way of living. The pressure is going to be immense. It is already ramping up. And already we're seeing people saying, mm, no, I don't, I don't really believe that anymore. I'm going to walk. You can be absolutely sure that this is the work of the evil one. It is his goal. It is his greatest ambition to get professing believers to abandon the faith they once professed. So you can see it in deconstruction. You can see it in people just simply saying, I'm out of that. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not a Christian any longer. What happened? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Their profession was just a profession. Genuine followers of Jesus don't just make a profession. We're going to see people making professions tonight. They experience a transformation. And that transformation is sealed by the presence of a Holy Spirit who will not leave or depart. And though a true believer can try to walk away in unfaithfulness and be incredibly miserable as a consequence, you will never see a genuine follower of Jesus walk away and stay away. But you will see that. It's already happening. People that you thought were faithful suddenly leaving Christ and the church. It's warfare, and Satan has won. But, but what, about, what about the professing believer who is a true believer? Well, he can't cause a genuine believer to deny their faith in Christ. He will settle for detouring or diminishing your faithfulness with compromise or neglect or pride. And so this is how he fights, and this is what he fights for when he attacks. He challenges faith in God by questioning God's worth and his character, his promises or his power, or even his requirements. He challenges faithfulness to this God by offering a compromise or an adjustment in our faithfulness to a faithful God, a kind of ceasefire to get us out from under his attack. If you'll just dial it back a bit, if you'll just be quiet about your faith, if you'll just compromise on, on your ethics, on your business practices, on the way you do things, if you'll just take the role of a chameleon in a culture that calls black, white, and white, black, and, and, and uh, up, down, and down, up, if you'll just go along with it and live in that crazy world and hide your light, I'll leave you alone. When that happens, he's won.
Be careful. Be careful. You are under attack. Conclusion three. While the enemy wants professing believers to deny their faith and wants genuine believers to detour from their faithfulness, what the enemy doesn't want is a fight with a firm faith because such a fight is one he cannot win. Indeed, James says in James 4, if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Those who keep their faith in God, who keep drawing near to him with faithfulness, find that he draws near to them and stays near to them in the battle. And when God is kept near, Satan is pushed away. He cannot succeed. But those who try to flee the devil's attacks and flee in fear rather than faith in God find that the faithfulness puts them at a distance from God and always within Satan's reach. So here's the principle. Abandon faith and flee and the devil will devour you. Stand firm in your faith and the devil will flee from the Christ who draws near to you every single time. Don't you flee. Resist. Make him flee. Make him flee. So while your faith in Christ brings the battle to you, the faithfulness of Christ wins the victory for you. Faith is our greatest battle strategy because faith is the only path to victory. All right. So let me close with this. Loved ones, the battle is real. But the victory belongs to the humble, the surrendered, the incurably trusting, and the persistently faithful. This is how we win. Even though we cannot fight and we must not flee, we resist. So when your faith and your faithfulness are tested, resist. Because the faith of your children will be tested as perhaps yours never has. Teach them to resist, not to fight, not to flee, resist. Today, the devil is on the attack in ways more visible than perhaps any of us have seen in our lifetimes. Well, what, what can you do? There's a lot you can do. Humble yourself. Commit yourself and your family to living under the mighty hand of your God. Submit to him his wisdom, his heart found in his word and resist along with others in his church. Do it together. Give God what our enemy doesn't want God to have. Faith. Faithfulness. I told the first service, I almost said punch him right in the mouth, but I said we can't fight him. So I had to dial that back. I, I think I got a little excited, I don't know. Uh, but the way you really land the greatest, well, I'm, see, I'm gonna say punch again. I, I, we can't do that. The, the way you really wanna stick it to the devil, <laughs> I don't know, is by giving God what Satan doesn't want God to have, 
a firm faith and a constant faithfulness. Why is he so against it? Because he can't overcome it. In fact, it always overcomes him. He's not going to mess with Josh McLean unless Josh lets down his guard. He's going to go on to somebody else who isn't watching, who isn't humble, who isn't paying attention, who isn't sober-minded because he'll take them down. I want to close with a glimpse at the closing words that Peter uses in verse 10. He tells his readers and he tells us there that after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen and establish you. Loved ones, yes, the battle is real. The battle with this enemy is real. And yes, he is dangerous and he's powerful and he's cunning. And yes, he can and will do you much harm if you let him. But this battle for us is winnable because the war has already been won. And not only that, this battle we are in is notably brief. If you live 90 years and you come to faith in Jesus at 20 and you're in battle for 70 years, in comparison with all eternity, this is just a flicker. It's brief. The conflict is short. But I want to remind you the joy of belonging to Christ, of belonging to him who has conquered the evil one. The joy of knowing Jesus is already yours and will be yours for eternity. So hang on. Hold fast. God says you are already now more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this conquering Christ says to you and says to me, listen, don't forget, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Don't let anybody take from you the crown. I have for you a victory. Hold on. It's just going to be for a little while. With heads bowed and eyes closed all across the room, 
Believer, I want to encourage and challenge you to look closely at your life right here, right now. What are you facing? Are you experiencing success and opportunities like you've never had? Watch out. Satan is going to attack you. He's probably already started, and it, it will be at the point of your faith and your faithfulness. How are you doing? How are you doing? Perhaps success is not your problem. Perhaps opportunities are not your problem. Perhaps it is the loss of a job. Perhaps it is an illness, a sickness in your family. Perhaps it is trouble in your marriage. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps someone has betrayed you. Someone has let you down. Perhaps an idol has set itself up in your heart and in your life you can feel yourself drifting away from God. And your vulnerability before an enemy who's ready to devour you is growing by the day. Watch out. How are you doing when it comes to faith? What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? What are you looking for? What are you living for? What does your faithfulness look like right now? Some of us are already living defeated. Some of us are on the verge of defeat. Flirting with defeat. Some of us know it and some of us can't see it. And yet I'm praying that God by his spirit will make it clear. Father God, the God who is great and powerful. Give us eyes to see the reality of where we are, of the enemy that is beyond us, of the Christ who has come with power to save us, who lives, who brings forgiveness and cleansing of sin and new life, and the strength to resist, Father God. For those who are in this room who know him personally, who are more than just professors, but actually followers of Jesus with lives transformed, I pray, Lord God, that having given them this gift of faith, having made them your children, that you would call them afresh in this moment to faithfulness, that there would be no difficulty, no hardship, no success, no opportunity that could cause them to glance away from you, but would make them instead even more vigilant knowing that the enemy will attack them at the very place of their confidence in you. Father, for those who are here 
who all of their lives have lived without a champion, who have lived and have sensed defeat again and again and again, who have never known what it is to have a champion stronger than the one who was defeating them, how I pray for them that today they would find their champion in Christ Jesus, who by his life, his death on the cross for sinners and in his resurrection has proven that this evil one who seeks to destroy and devour all of humanity can be defeated and will be defeated when there is faith. And I'm praying, Lord God, that for those today, there would be a sense of need for Christ, a confession of sin, a turning away from sin, and a full surrender of life to this champion who grants victory both in this life and in the life to come. May it be so, Lord Jesus. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.